Hello there, and welcome to my corner. I'm sorry I haven't posted for a while. Work was getting stressful, the temperatures were rising, it just didn't put me in the right mood to record. Hopefully you can understand. And if you're still listening to this, thank you for still being a subscriber. I will do my best to try to stay a little more consistent. But now that I've had a break, and work is actually a little better now, now that I've got a new position, my enthusiasm is back. I have more energy. I feel better. Not as exhausted when I get off of work. So I do have a lot of facts I want to cover. And I hope you're ready. I'm going to do my best to try to put out an episode every couple weeks. And if there's a fact you want me to cover, just let me know. When I do get facts from people, it definitely gives me a little more drive to do an episode. So hopefully I can get some suggestions. You can either find me on Facebook or Instagram, Wayne's Corner Pod, or you can send me an email at waynescornerpodcast at gmail.com. So before I got into today's topic, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from the friends over at Low Tree Studios, Fine Tunings with Jason and Nick. It's a double shot of success, two ounces of comedy, and garnished with a little pop culture twist. You definitely want to give them a listen. They go live on CastBox every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so make sure you head over to LowTreeStudios.com and follow them on CastBox, and you'll be notified when they go live, because being part of the conversation definitely makes for a great time. And while you're over there, check out some of their other shows. Some of those go live on CastBox as well. So if you're looking for a new show to listen to, you're in for a real treat. They got bitches that whine, a group that has many differences, a married couple that gives you a break from life's daily grind, and a pulp culture show that is sure to wreck your childhood. The links are in the show notes. So to get back into the groove of things, I figured I'd start off with coffee. I mean, it's usually how most of us get the motivation for the day. And the history of coffee is definitely a fascinating story. The bean has traveled the globe for centuries being smuggled out of strict countries, stolen from royalty, and it's changed entire nations and economies. It's remarkable how one small bean taken from tiny trees in Ethiopia could become the second largest commodity traded in the world today. So have you ever wondered where coffee came from? Where this little bean got its start? Well, get ready to be taken on a journey through time and across continents. So let's get roasted. So where did coffee originate? Well, that's the easy bit. At the very beginning, it came from Ethiopia. But how the bean made it to every other corner of the globe? That's where we're going to dig into. After a slow discovery in Africa, coffee went west to Europe to be discovered and coveted by newer civilizations, as well as east into Asia where it was planted and harvested. So how was coffee actually discovered? Well, with dancing goats, of course. The most popular origin story of the beloved bean starts with Chaldee and his goats in 700 AD. Chaldee, an Ethiopian goat herder, stumbled upon his goats acting quite strangely. They were dancing. This definitely wasn't normal. He discovered that they were eating red berries and concluded that this fruit was the cause of this odd behavior. After stumbling upon this magic fruit, he shared his findings with a monk who was ecstatic to find something that would help him stay awake all night as he prayed. Another story, however, claims that Chaldee shared these beans with the monk who disapproved of their use 
and threw them into the fire. The result was a wonderful, pleasing aroma, which became the world's first roasted coffee. Shortly after this, the beans were ground and boiled to produce what we know today as coffee. Though the story of Khalid and his goats cannot be proven to be true, one thing is certain. Coffee came from Ethiopia. Another thing we know for sure is where it went next. Coffee made its way north across the Red Sea into Yemen in the 15th century. The port at which the beans first arrived was called Mocha. And due to the coffee's growing popularity and the shipments of coffee from the port city, Mocha became synonymous with coffee. So anytime you hear the term Mocha when talking about coffee, you know now where the term originated. Coffee was then grown in Yemen and became well known in Egypt, Persia, and Turkey. It was known as the wine of Araby. The beverage started to become a little too popular as coffee houses started to open up all around Arabia. These coffee houses were known as schools of the wise. These were places where you went to share and hear information. They became the epicenter of social activity. Not too far from what we know as coffee shops today. However, in the early 1500s, the court at Mecca declared coffee to be forbidden due to its stimulating effect. A similar thing happened in both Cairo, Egypt, and in Ethiopia. All of these bans were eventually lifted, but coffee faced its fair share of prosecution before that. Riots broke out in the Arab streets until justice was returned to the coffee-drinking people. I think we can all relate to that one. The course of history changes when the coffee bean spreads both east and west, east into India and Indonesia, and west into Italy and onto the rest of Europe. Arabia was the gatekeeper for coffee. If a country wanted coffee beans, they purchased it from Yemen. The authorities liked it that way and did everything to ensure that nobody could take fertile beans out of their control and plant the trees themselves. Alas, along came Baba Budan, a Sufi saint from India who was on a pilgrimage to Mecca in 1670. Upon his return, Baba Budan smuggled some fertile beans back to India where he began coffee cultivation. These beans became a large-scale coffee farming in southern India, which are still producing plants today. In the late 1600s, the Dutch finally started growing coffee. Decades earlier, the Dutch had smuggled coffee plants from Yemen in an attempt to grow the beans in Holland, but due to the cold weather, their cultivation scheme failed miserably. This time, however, friends in Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, sent coffee seedlings to the Dutch governor of Java, Indonesia. While multiple natural disasters wiped out their first attempts at coffee cultivation, in 1704, more seedlings were planted and coffee from Indonesia became a staple. Java becomes another household term for coffee. Eventually, the coffee plant made its way to both Sumatra and Celebes drastically increasing Indonesia's coffee growing capacity. Coffee finally arrived in Venice in 1570 and quickly became quite popular. In 1615, Pope Clement VIII decided that the drink must be satanic. Upon inspection, however, he gave in to the glory of the beverage, baptized it and declared it a Christian beverage. One cannot deny the almighty power of the bean. As the 1600s rolled on, coffee houses sprung up all over Europe and in England, Austria, France, Germany, and Holland. Much like the coffee houses in Arabia, these places became social hubs 
where one can engage in stimulating conversations and political debates. In England, these became known as penny universities. For the price of a cup of coffee, you could learn all sorts of things as public conversations carried on. Many of these coffee houses even grew into businesses, such as Edward Lloyd's Coffee House, which became a large-scale insurance company. In Oxford, England's first coffee club opened. This shop would later be known as the Oxford Coffee Club, where ideas and innovations were born and shared. The Oxford Coffee Club eventually grew to become the Royal Society. Coffee houses became the go-to place for Englishmen. If they weren't working or at the pub, they were at the coffee houses. Women at the time were furious as their husbands were never home anymore, always drinking coffee and engaging in religious and political discussions. In 1674, the Women's Petition Against Coffee was born in an attempt to ban coffee and bring their men back home. France was introduced to coffee in the 17th century, specifically in 1669, by the Turkish ambassador to Paris. In his time with Louis XIV, the royal court swooned over the beverage, and Paris was soon overtaken by the beverage. In 1683, after the Battle of Vienna, Austria's first coffee shop opened, the Blue Bottle. The Turks, who were attempting to invade the land, were shut down and left behind a surplus of coffee. The victorious officer opened the shop and popularized the practice of adding milk and sugar to coffee. And for the people who don't like bitter coffee, you can thank this guy. Having already conquered Africa and the Indian Ocean nations and sweeping over Europe, the little beans were about to make their way even further west to conquer every nation touching the Atlantic Ocean. In the early 18th century, the Dutch decided to extend their generosity in a way that would change the coffee farming world forever. The mayor of Amsterdam gifted King Louis XIV of France a young coffee plant in 1714. Although the Dutch could not cultivate coffee trees in Holland, they could keep them alive in special greenhouses. This plant was protected in the Royal Biotanical Gardens of Paris. A captain of the French Navy, Gabriel Mantenu de Clou, was stationed in Martinique but happened to be visiting Paris. It's unclear whether he ended up stealing clippings from King Louis' secured coffee tree or if it was King Louis himself who gave the order for de Clou to establish a coffee plantation in Martinique. Regardless, de Clou took his clippings and set sail for the Caribbean, which happened to have the ideal coffee growing conditions. It was a long journey, and de Clou struggled to keep his plant alive. Water was scarce on the boat, but he managed to keep the plant alive by giving it his own supply of water and often going thirsty himself. Upon arrival on the island, he secretly planted it among other plants to keep it safe. Within three years, coffee plantations spread throughout Martinique, Saint Dominique, and Guadalupe. These would be the plants that would eventually populate the rest of the Caribbean in Central and South America. In 1730, the English governor of Jamaica, Sir Nicholas Laws, brought plants of coffee to his island. Within a short time, coffee was growing deep into the Blue Mountains, an exceptional growing area for coffee. Another great area for growing coffee is Brazil. And did you know Brazil grows more coffee today than any other country in the world? Well, how did that get started? 
With a Brazilian colonel by the name of Francisco de Melo Paleta, Francisco was sent to Guyana to settle a dispute between the Dutch and the French in 1727. His priority, however, was to get coffee and bring it back to Brazil, whatever the cost. The Brazilian colonel requested coffee seedlings from the French governor, and when his request was refused, his seductive backup plan came into play. He worked his magic on the French governor's wife, and eventually she managed to secretly give Francisco a handful of clippings. He took these clippings back to Brazil and started the largest coffee empire on the planet. Francisco, you dirty dog, you. It wasn't until 1822 that coffee production started to boom in Brazil, and in 1852, the country became the largest producer of coffee and has remained to this day. In 1893, coffee from Brazil was taken to Kenya and Tanzania, close to the birthplace of coffee, and cultivated in East Africa. America's journey with coffee started in the 18th century with the Boston Tea Party and the American Revolution. The year was 1773. A group of patriots, many dressed as American Indians, snuck aboard English tea ships sitting on the Boston Harbor and dumped all the tea into the ocean to rebel against the English tax on tea. Thus, tea became extremely unpatriotic, and coffee replaced it as the American beverage of choice. Ever since then, the United States has been the leading importer of coffee and continues to buy far more coffee than any other country. This countrywide dependency on the beans has become an economic stimulus to many countries throughout South and Central America. Not only does America import coffee, but it actually grows a little bit of it as well. Hawaii, though not part of America until 1959, was introduced to coffee in 1817 when coffee seedlings were brought by the Brazilians in 1825. The first official coffee orchard was born, starting Konya's legacy into the industry. By the 19th century, coffee was a global phenomenon. It was being shipped and consumed everywhere. While the bean itself had little land left to conquer, innovations in coffee roasting, packaging, and brewing have changed the beverage dramatically in the last 200 years. The first coffee brewing device born out of the Industrial Revolution was the percolator. In 1818, a Persian metalsmith invented the device, which is still used today. Little advancements have been made to improve the device's original functionality. This percolator made its way to the States in 1865, when James H. Nason patented the first American-made percolator. Though some may consider mass coffee production a downfall in our history, it was a massive achievement at the time. In 1871, John Arbuckle invented a machine that filled, weighed, sealed, and labeled coffee in a paper package. Arbuckles became the largest importer of coffee in the world, and even owned the most merchant ships in the world, consistently shipping coffee from South America back to the States. Then in 1886, Maxwell House found its start. Joel Cheek named his coffee blend after the fancy Maxwell House Hotel, famed for the seven different presidents who have stayed there. In 1942, in the middle of World War II, Maxwell House Instant Coffee became a staple for both soldiers and civilians alike. In 1901, in Italy, the first espresso machine was invented by Luigi Bezzira. It was the first commercial espresso machine that used water and steam under high pressure to brew coffee really fast. The machine was designed out of necessity, 
as Luigi was just hoping to reduce the time it took to make coffee so his employees could get back to work faster. In 1905, however, modern coffee knowledge overtook Luigi's attempt at espresso. Desidero Pavoni purchased the patent for Luigi's original espresso machine, determined to make it better. The coffee produced by the original machine was extremely bitter. Desidero concluded that the bitterness resulted from the steam and the high temperatures. He then decided the temperatures should not exceed 195 degrees and would be exposed to 9 bar pressure, which is about 130 psi. 40 years later, Achille Gaja, an Italian, took the espresso machine another step forward by using a piston to extract the coffee at an even higher pressure. This new advancement produced a layer of crema on top of each shot of espresso, and the cappuccino was finally born. Then, in 1908, drip coffee took a leap forward. A German housewife by the name of Melita Benz created the first paper coffee filter using her son's school papers. A patent was issued and her company was born, Melita, which is still active today. In the 1900s, Nestle was approached by the Brazilian government to find a way to utilize all of Brazil's coffee waste, as they simply produced too much of it. After years of research, the process of freeze-drying coffee to make instant coffee came about. The coffee produced is Nescafe and is the world's leading brand today. In the 1920s, the US government enacted prohibition, no more alcohol. Coffee sales rose through the roof during this time. Then in 1926, the Science Newsletter declared coffee to be beneficial. Not only would it give you a boost, but it was also healthy. Once again, the almighty bean wins again. During the 1960s, coffee went through another revolution. Alfred Pete was a Dutch-American whose father roasted coffee in Holland. Alfred decided to bring his family craft to California, and in 1966, Pete's Coffee opened up in Berkeley. Enter the early stage of specialty coffee. In 1971, Pete shared his coffee knowledge and roasting techniques with a couple of friends. These friends joined his staff over the Christmas season to learn the ropes of the business in order to open their own stores. With Pete's permission, they opened up a coffee shop in Seattle using the coffee beans he roasted and mimicking his store layout. The store was called Starbucks. Within their first year of business, they purchased a coffee roaster and sold their own coffee bean products. They didn't even sell brewed coffee at the time. You could only get beans at Starbucks in the early 70s. In 1982, Howard Schultz, a salesman who had been selling drip coffee makers, joined the Starbucks team as their director of marketing. He was extremely inspired by his trip to Italy, experiencing coffee houses on every street corner. These cafes served espresso and were local meeting places for society. Upon his return, Howard tried to convince the owners to serve actual beverages, but they wouldn't have it. They simply wanted to focus on roasting and selling quality beans. In 1984, Starbucks purchased Pete's, acquiring their original mentor's business. The next year, Howard Schultz quit Starbucks to start his own coffee company, Il Jornat, focusing on serving quality coffee drinks. After immediate success, Schultz purchased Starbucks in 1987 for $3.8 million. He was able to combine the roasting techniques of Starbucks with the Italian concept of the cafe. Starbucks then went on a rampage, opening thousands of stores with the goal of putting stores in every country. 
Whether or not you like Starbucks, it's irrelevant. They started something that we can all be grateful for. They led the second wave of coffee in the United States and ultimately the world. They brought consumers back to the notion that fresh roasted, fresh ground coffee was better than pre-ground tins purchased in grocery stores. Starbucks created the modern cafe experience, combining freshly roasted coffee beans for sale with the service of brewed coffee and local gathering hubs. All around the world, people are expecting better coffee. Many companies today are seeking to improve the livelihood of coffee farmers as most coffee producing countries are still widely underdeveloped. There is still much more room for improvement in the world of coffee, so the coffee story isn't over yet. Where will coffee be in a hundred years? Well, I can't imagine it gets much better than it is today, but I'm sure that spunky little bean will find another way to shake things up. And that's my fun fact. Thanks for walking over.